Carlo Pallad was not the ideal high school student. Instead of studying for exams or doing his homework, he would spend late nights in internet cafes playing his favorite computer game, Defense of the Ancients, or more popularly known as Dota. Against his parents' will, he decided not to study college but rather take his chances on competitive computer gaming. Carlo participated in several local Dota tournaments, but he wasn't earning enough money to be self-sufficient. Sometimes, a loss would mean he had to walk several kilometers back to his parents' house. His mother became very frustrated and would constantly nag about his apparent poor life choices. Filled with pride, he ran away from home with nothing but a backpack and his passion for Dota. Carlo lived on the streets, hopping from one internet cafe to another, still playing his favorite computer game. A nomad living in the virtual world known only by his gamer ID, Cuckoo. Danger eventually caught up with Cuckoo when he became a victim of a mugging that landed him in the hospital. Cuckoo came to his senses and reconciled with his parents. He became even more determined in pursuing a career in competitive gaming. In 2015, at the age of 19 and a father of one daughter, Cuckoo was scouted in a professional esports team, Mineski, where he played Dota 2, the second iteration of his favorite game. A year later, Cuckoo moved on to TNC Pro Team where they won first place at World Electronic Sports Games 2016, bagging 800,000 US dollars, equivalent to about 40 million Philippine pesos. And welcome to the 34th episode of the Banana Cube Podcast. The topic for this episode is all about online competitive gaming, how it started in dial-up powered internet cafes, its transformation into a billion-dollar esports industry, and whether it is a viable career option. Our special guest is Stanley, a friend of mine who is extremely passionate about gaming and is only an audition shy into becoming a professional gamer. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Bro, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? Not so bad at all. There's a lot to discuss, so let's bust right into it. Let's talk about your interest and fascination towards video games. How did it all start? Uh, it started from Diablo, actually. Oh, uh, Diablo. That's yeah, from Diablo, Blizzard, right? From Blizzard, yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it was released, I think, in uh, around 1997. Mm. Uh, I was 10 years old, and we just ha- had like some kind of uh, crappy 56k modem dial-up connection. <laughs> so uh, it was the first real multiplayer game that, uh, mm. that that I enjoyed. And it was so addicting and just so fun because uh, the, the levels are endless and you just mm. keep going in and grinding and meeting other players and killing them, mm. collecting their years. <laughs> I see. Well, yeah, it, it was a thing to uh, when you kill someone, their years, their year will fall off, and then you can collect it as a as like a war trophy. Oh, so, I didn't know that. So yeah. I've I've played Jablo before, but 
I suppose I've only played it, you know, using the story mode, wherein I complete the stories, I collect items. But for, for your, you're referring to the multiplayer version That's of right. it. So you can join a game and mm. then with maybe four other players. Mm-hmm. And then you can either cooperate and kill the enemy mobs together. Mm-hmm. Or you can kill each other. And if, if you kill someone, their year would, will fall off. Ah. And how, how many years have you collected in your entire Diablo career way back in, I, in the 90s? I have no idea. <laughs> Hundreds, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I see. From Diablo, how did you transition to other online games? So started with uh, Diablo from Blizzard. And then after that, I went on to StarCraft, I think. Ah, StarCraft, yeah. yes. Yeah, the also classic. from Blizzard. Mm. And then Warcraft, also from Blizzard. Mm. Uh, and then the sequels to each of these three classic series. Uh, there was Diablo 2, there was StarCraft 2, there's Warcraft 2 and 3. Mm. You've mentioned StarCraft, and from what I remember, StarCraft was the first widely accepted competitive game. And I recall South Korea as a country really took it seriously. And they they even have TV shows that run 24 hours just showcasing players playing StarCraft 2 professionally. That's right. Games become so intense that if something is done maybe five seconds too late, then it would cost him the game. Oh, it's not not five seconds. It's It's more like 0.5 seconds. Oh, (laughs) 0.5 seconds? Yeah. StarCraft is is intense. It's it's actually crazy. Mm. The margin for error is a lot smaller than than Dota or any uh, any other game. Oh wow, I, I didn't know that. So split second decision. Yeah. Is all it takes to make or break the game. From the games that you've mentioned, what would you say your top 3 favorites? I would say the 3 series that I mentioned from Blizzard. Mm. For multiplayer games, definitely those 3. Mm. I have my other favorite uh, single player games. I, th- I think Blizzard was the one who really started emphasizing a lot on multiplayer, uh, cooperation, and mm. you know uh, uh, the social uh, interaction mm. component. So they, they they were the ones who kind of started the trend. Gotcha. And until now, they're still kind of producing games. I think the latest one that I've enjoyed is the the five on five first person shooting game Overwatch. I I love that game. So it's like, oh yeah, it's highly competitive as well. There are prize pools that range to uh, millions of dollars. But then even not playing it competitively, just playing it casually is really fun. Yeah, it is. It has characters for all kinds of players. If you're not good with aiming, then yeah, get get a support player. It was your favorite player as well, right? Uh, Reinhardt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I realized uh, as I grew older, I, I couldn't aim. I, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I used to be pretty, pretty good at Counter-Strike, but mm. when I picked up Overwatch, uh, I was probably already in my mid twenties, mm. and and for for gamers, uh, reaction time and uh, game sense falls off a cliff, uh, <laughs> very early, very at a very young age. So, mm. uh, but by, by then I felt that I couldn't react uh, as fast as other people could. So I I picked up a tank player. Mm. <laughs> it's just he's and, holding a a very big hammer. And then yeah. just swings it around. So aim, exactly. aim is not important. It's just your positioning, exactly. and you know, just tank everybody, uh, yeah. absorb all the damage, and help your team out. So I like that kind of like all of the games that you've mentioned require a lot of strategy, and that's what makes it fun. Hundred uh, uh, percent. The reason why it's so 
popular mm. and so mainstream is is that uh, you don't have to be a pro to enjoy mm. these games. It has a pretty uh, it's uh, what I call it's easy to to learn but mm. extremely difficult to master. Uh-huh. So if you're just happy picking it up uh, uh, and playing for fun, then it's really easy and there's something for everyone. And and then if you want to go further and go into the 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 tactics and timings and uh, combinations, then you know you can invest a lot more time and become insanely good at it. Mm. But that's that's something for everyone. Yeah, that's right. Cool. And a lot of the games you've mentioned have been developed by a big company called Blizzard, and but they did miss something. An offshoot of Warcraft Three was a mini game called Dota: Defense of the Ancients, right? And that was still yep. part of the Warcraft community, or I would say ecosystem, back then. Created by this developer, only known by his, uh, I would say, screen name called Ice Frog. And yep. Blizzard kind of failed to see the potential of Defense of the Ancients or Dota in a sense that they didn't develop it separately as a different game. And so when Valve found the potential of Dota, they bought it off Blizzard. And and since then, it's history. Yeah. So the rumor is that Blizzard was too stingy to pay and see the, the potential in mm. spinning off the game as standalone. So mm. Valve kind of jumped in and, and took, took over. Yeah. And then now that you mentioned that, it kind of realize that blizzard has always been profit right they they always charge a lot of exorbitant yeah. fees uh, up front for you to purchase a game but the way dota has thrived is because there's really no barrier to enter the game it's free to play anyone yep. can can just have um, a decent computer it can run dota and then create an account and that's it you don't have to pay anything yep and since then the acceptance of dota as kind of a mainstream competitive game really took off. Yeah. The change from in, in the profit model from mm. charging an upfront cost for the game to making the game free for everyone to play mm. and then charging only for co- like cosmetic upgrades mm. and things that make you look cool in the inside <laughs> the game. Yeah, it's, it sounds silly, but it, it really proved to be a much more profitable model. Mm. And people would spend uh, hundreds, uh, even thousands of dollars just to look good in the game. Yes. It doesn't even improve their their abilities or anything, make them stronger, <laughs> but just to look cool. Yeah, that model yeah. has been copied by a lot of game makers, developers, Yeah, um, Fortnite. The model works. Once you get in players, once they're hooked, once they, they enjoy playing your game, yeah. If they can, they would spend, you know, customizing their character, buying shields, buying armors. And as you said, they don't really have an impact uh, on the game. Like they don't give you strength that would make you at a more advantageous position. It's just very cosmetic <laughs> changes. Yeah. And Valve also kind of was very smart in creating this compendium kind of series wherein if you buy a season pass, portion of that money will go to the prize pool of what they call the international, which is a global tournament of, of the best players of the game, and you know to, to play head to head in a in a series of games until you know a, a champion is named. And the prize pool is staggering. It started with one million 
US dollars. And from what I've heard, the latest TI 10, the international 10, the price pool has reached 40 million US dollars. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and even back when it first started in uh, the international one, mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, a bit of history is that um, mm. they, they created this event uh, because when they created the new game Dota 2, mm. uh, most of the gamers who played Dota uh, refused to, to move because you have a established uh, community in Dota itself mm. uh, on a different platform. And you're so used to just playing and, and it's fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with the game. So few people saw the motivation to shift. Mm. So Valve, uh, being a, a genius company in itself, uh, created this event uh, that had, uh, at that time, $1 million prize pool is, is unprecedented. It's mm. unheard of. It's, it's insane. It was insane. Yeah. And then they invited the best teams from Dota to take part. Uh, you know, they flew everyone down to, I believe it was in uh, Ukraine or something. I uh, could be wrong though. Mm. Um, the winner emerged with $1 million. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then after that, a lot of people, it caught the attention of a lot of gamers. A lot of people like myself um, mm. moved to Dota 2. Mm. And then when the game picked up momentum, you know, it just became an uh, unstoppable force. Everyone just left Dota for Dota 2. Mm. And then subsequently, the, the internationals, uh, every year, they started shattering the the previous record. Mm. So then it went from 1 mil to 2.8 mil mm. to like 5. And then it just kept going up from there. And then, as you rightly pointed out, last uh, two years ago was uh, 40, around 40 mil. Yeah, 40 million. That's crazy. And 40 mil, crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> top six out of the top 10 prize pools overall in, in esports is the international. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And the other two games that, you know, made it to the top 10 is Fortnite and League of Legends. Yeah. So, so th- that's a very good history right there. And to me, moving from Dota to Dota 2 was actually a no brainer. Like the graphics is better. It's more intuitive. Like before in Dota, you have to memorize all the recipes you know how Mm. to how to craft items but in dota 2 they've made it simpler like if you if you just open the shop it would give you even suggested items that would help you at the same time you don't have to memorize anything it's there it's very intuitive once you click an item it will show you what what items you need to buy and all that since they made it a standalone game so Mm. they could uh, overhaul some of the outdated mechanics Mm. and improve the user interface experience make it a lot easier for beginners to to go in and pick up their tutorials and everything so once it started taking off then uh, the number of players increased Mm. uh, yes by a lot yeah that's the oil of of this industry it's players like for as long as we have players that are happy that are continuously playing the game then you know it will continue to thrive and i believe blizzard also created their own dota type of game right and i, for, I forgot the name um heroes of the storm <laughs> oh yeah that one heroes of the storm and it was so lackluster that I don't even remember the name. Is anyone still playing that game? Uh, I, I, I believe so, but certainly I, I never tried it. <laughs> <laughs> I never even tried it. A lot of people argue that, you know, hey, esports is not really real sports. 
Well, what's your take on that? Oh, uh, they need to watch uh, the international or <laughs> uh, even before the international. Uh, earlier, we, we talked about uh, StarCraft being huge in Korea. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a really eye-opening experience when uh, I spent some time in Korea uh, a couple of years back, mm. maybe five years ago. And you're right that uh, TV channels uh, will show people playing StarCraft the whole day, yeah, and and they're not playing StarCraft in you know in a in a sweaty uh, sweatpants in a mom's basement <laughs> with a pack of nachos beside. Uh, it's it's a huge esports stadium with tens of thousands of fans, wow. and they're wearing professional uh, jackets with uh, all the logos of their sponsors, mm. and they they look quite good. They have makeup artists to to. to <laughs> Yeah, because they have to be on TV. Yes, yes. And they sit in this, uh, you know, almost uh, like cutting edge uh, soundproof booths. Mm. It's almost uh, like a futuristic uh, uh, spaceship. And and they compete within there. And they are professional announcers, mm. commentators, analysts. Uh, and that whole ecosystem, um, how is that different from any other uh, uh, real spot? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it really is not. And in fact, the money is even a lot better than most sports that are, you know, played right now. It's 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 really mind-boggling. Yeah, so it started in Korea, but then uh, now nowadays, you know, it's it's kind of worldwide. Every every country uh, has has their best teams in certain games, mm. and when they compete, uh, it's for large prize pools and a lot of. Uh, prestige and mm. and glory so a lot of people argue that it's not a real sport because you know it's just kids sitting down playing a computer game but i, I would argue back that these professional players are the most disciplined physically fit players because they have to be trained to become really quick in decision making you know hand and eye coordination split second decisions all of these cannot be achieved if you're not physically fit and in fact most pro teams they have their own dietitians, their own yeah. psychologists, because really there there are a lot at stake in 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 these tournaments, and so their players have to be at the top of their game each time. Yeah, that's right. One way that esports as an industry has proliferated is because of universities as well. They've now recognized that this is a niche that's becoming mainstream, and so they've spent dollars in you know giving scholarships to students because they think that hey what what kind of student do i want i want students that are disciplined i want students that are at least decent with math and you know these are dota players you need some level of math to compete You, you need some level of discipline to kind of master your skill and your craft so yeah schools universities they would give scholarships to students who intend to take up, you know, esports as a, as a career while studying. Is that only um, prevalent in, in the Philippines though? Uh, I don't think so. In the US, they have started. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. And, and that's because a lot of investors have pledged money into this industry. So famously, Mark Cuban, world-renowned investor, a private investor, has, you know, seeded money to creating his own um, esports team. Even Shaquille O'Neal has his own team as well. So a, a lot of people, prominent people, have recognized, e- even sports um, athletes themselves have recognized, you know, how how big this industry is. And so they've spent, they've invested 
dollars into this industry. Yeah. Mm. And you've mentioned casters as well. Uh, and, and I want to play a clip of... Because um, a game is just a game, but you know it becomes professional if you have casters, people yep. who would give blow-by-blow blow account of what's going on. And to me, they just make the game more exciting. And I want to play this clip, and I think you will Wait, remember... Yeah. Yes. Is it the play from TI2? Nope, not the TI2 one. Oh, no. man. All right, all right. Go for it. CDC are moving in there now. I don't think EG are interested in contesting this 4 on 5, but maybe they could delay it long enough for it to be a 5 on 5 if they Ice Blast and Fissure properly. There is uh, no hook shot. They're all together. PPD, here comes the Ice Blast, ready for the dive! <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, classic. Classic, right? Yeah. TI5, I believe. Uh, TI5, yes, that's correct. Evil Geniuses yeah. versus CDEC. And that game won them $6.6 million. That's crazy. Yeah, it's called the $6.6 million Slam. Echo Slam, yeah. Echo Slam, yeah. And, and to me, for you to be an effective caster, you also have to have deep appreciation of the game, right? Because you, you have to tell what you see and you can't tell what you see if you don't understand and if you don't know exactly the minor details of the game and you have to be a strategist as well because for you to appreciate what the team is doing you have to recognize what it is yeah there's often two commentators and Mm. one of it is uh one of them is in charge of just the play-by-play describing everything that happens on the screen Mm. and the other guy is usually the analyst you know Ah, like uh, talking about team strategy and and what's the game plan and Mm deeper tactics wow and so that was toby one and ld and i i remember we have a photo together whilst there was a major tournament in singapore and you and i have a photo with ld together that's why i chose this right yeah yeah so that's a high caliber casting now i I will play another casting done by filipino casters all right yep okay here it is. Ito pumasok na tingnan natin. ADC yan. Oh, oh, oh. Matigas ka. Laku, lakad mo. Latak mo. Latak mo. Latak mo. Latak mo. Normally. Normally. Echo Slama Jama. Tapos unboxing. Iisama. Uy, 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 uy. Teka lang. Teka lang. Iba to. Teka lang, Sir Chief. Teka lang, Sir Chief. Teka lang, Sir Chief. Huwag kayong mainis. Mahalang patis. Palating. Oh, oh my God, Sir Chief. The next level play. <laughs> wow, I I I've heard snippets from that, but I've never heard the whole thing before. That's a that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was from ESL one in 2018, Fanatic versus Team Secret. So. There's a really big difference between Filipino casters versus the rest of the casters because they don't really care about the blow-by-blow play. They just shout random noise. And and to me, the energy is fun. It's very different, really. Yeah, it is. It is. It just sounds fun, though. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> if you understand our language, it's, it's really fun. It, it really can't be 
translated properly but yeah the the, the energy really is there <laughs> uh, also the the korean casters are somewhat like that oh really for dota, only for dota not not because uh well all the best casters are doing starcraft so mm. the, the i remember the dota casters uh the, the korean commentators were mm. extremely funny and they they it sounded like the the Filipino one. They just kept shouting and screaming, and it's it's fun. It's fun, and it's uh, it's a different type of commentary. Yeah, and and There's of no course, insights. No insights at all. There's no. no insights. Yeah, <laughs> it's just pure entertainment. And Filipino casters also kind of favor Filipino teams and all that. Even though Fnatic is a Malaysian team per se, but there are players coming from the Philippines. We have DJ, and more recently. Raven as well joining Team Fanatic. And speaking of teams, do you do you follow any teams? Uh, not anymore. I've mm. stopped following for about two two years. Oh, okay. Uh, but back then, um, uh, yeah, I do pay attention to the Filipino teams. Mm. Uh, some of them, uh, only the best one or two teams. Mm. Uh, they usually make some kind of impact in in the international. Yeah. Uh, TNC, I believe, went quite far. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah. So, and they play a style that's uh, very. It's somewhat like the Filipino commentators. It's pure <laughs> chaos and ah, uh, yes. a lot of aggression, um, and it makes for very fun, uh, very interesting gameplay. Hmm. So it's 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 fun to watch them as a team. But usually, they face the most trouble when they meet uh, those those teams that are a lot more calculated mm. and have a lot more composure yeah. and their aggressive tactics usually will, will, will fall flat on this, these teams. Yeah. That's what I realized as well. Like TNC, they're very good at early game because aggression at the early game, you know, really plays well. If you can snowball and end the game, then, you know, 20 minutes time, then yeah, perfect. But once it goes to the late game where, you know, tactics play a lot more, um, strategy plays a lot more than aggression, then, yeah, that's where TNC kind of falls short each time. And, and, and I wonder sometimes, is it, um, is it just a matter of... Because uh, TNC is, is still based in the Philippines, right? Mm. They have not moved uh, their headquarters to, to overseas. Mm. So w- when you are... Um, Practicing against other Filipino teams, this might work. But um, I think you know that maybe they're missing the practice with uh, the the top teams from China or Europe. Yeah, that's a really good point because you will become a better fighter if your opponent is also kind of either at par with you or slightly above you, so that you become a better player or a better team and you're right if you're just playing locally then yeah chances are you will be the biggest fish in that very small pond but once you go to an international stage you meet these chinese teams that are really analytical um what was the name of the team that almost beat og lgd yeah lg psg lgd they're they're very tactical and they they almost kind of have an automatic thinking. If this happens, then this is what we should happen. If they counter this hero, this is like it's very strategic. Whereas TNC is just kill a kill kill. That's it. Ubusian, <laughs> <laughs> right? Ubusian, yes, Ubusian. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. It is a high stakes game. There is a high price pool that you can win. And the question becomes, is it really a viable career? If you're in your 20s and if you're Filipino, have you ever considered esports as a career? And what would you say if somebody asks you, maybe a 20-year-old asking you, hey, I'm considering esports as a career, what would you advise? Uh, my advice would be you you better be really, really good at it. Because hmm. the sad reality of, of esports is... Uh, Behind all the glamorous teams, sponsored teams, and and competitions, uh, a vast majority would would end up failing. Hmm. It's it's actually just like any other sport, really. Uh, you you can be the best basketball player in in your state, your school, your university. You can be the best in your whole uh, uh, state, but you may not be anything in the NBA. Ah, yes. So. Oh, the the problem is that um, only the top, the cream of the crop, uh, ends up making the millions of, of dollars, mm. uh, while the rest of the uh, teams that can't make it that far mm. uh, would end up with uh, you know very meager uh, salaries, mm. uh, either either being paid uh, on a on a salary basis by the team or only participating in smaller tournaments and winning the prize pools from smaller tournaments, mm. which may not add up to much. Yeah. So uh, in order to consider it as a viable career, you have to be really, really good at a really, really young age. Yeah. And all my friends thought I was really, really good because I was the best of all my friends, mm. my whole school and everything. Mm. But when I took part in a, a local uh, tournament in Singapore, mm-hmm. just within the country itself, uh, I, I felt badly. I got knocked out in the first round. Mm. You know, it's, it's just, uh, I realized that it's not about just being good and enjoying it, but you also have to dedicate a lot of time. Mm. It's, a, it's a full-time dedication. Uh, you got to form a team. You got to practice 8 to, to 12 hours daily. Uh, and you got to have insane amount of talent, hmm. and you got to have good team chemistry. There has to be uh, someone who can bring the team together, you know, uh, resolve conflicts. And only when all these factors uh, are in place, do you even stand a chance to compete with, with the other uh, good teams out there. So, sadly, for the vast majority of people, uh, you know, you, you, they may try and it may not end up working out as well as they imagine. Yeah. So it is a high risk, high reward kind of career if you want it. And only a handful makes it. So if you're even considering esports as a career, you better have a backup plan in case it doesn't pan out, right? For sure, for <laughs> sure, for sure. I, I, I mean, if, if you're young and you want to give it a, a year or two to hmm. just try it out, then I'd say, why not? But uh, if it doesn't work out, then uh, you need to recognize and cut losses before you invest too much time to, yeah, to this. Right. If you still love the game, but you don't want to, or you, you cannot compete professionally, then maybe try casting as a as an alternative career. It yeah, may that's not, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it may not pay out as well, though. So. 
Yeah, <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun, yes. It, it may be labor, like free labor, because nobody's paying <laughs> you to do that. But if you're able to showcase your talent and your passion for the game, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's more than enough reward, you know, having followers or having listeners. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. Thank you very much. And um, I think before we end, we just want to talk about upcoming events for this um, Dota 2. And Bob is planning to have the TI-10, the International 10, in Sweden, uh, Stockholm, Sweden, in August this year. Hopefully that happens because it was postponed already from last year, right? It, it was supposed to happen last year, but because of COVID, they postponed it. And hopefully it will happen again this um, August in Stockholm. And at the same time, there's also a Netflix animated series. Oh, I saw that. It's entitled Dragon's Blood. It, yeah, I saw that. That looks crazy fun it's nostalgic right you see the characters and you immediately recognize who they are and you you play them in a game so it looks really fun and it will premiere march 25th so once this podcast is released probably it's already showing in netflix so yeah yeah if you don't know dota and if you're interested maybe watch that but trust me playing the game is totally different from just watching the movie (laughs) (laughs) It can be uh, incredibly rewarding or incredibly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you play in Southeast Asia server, yes. It, it uh, can especially be. so, especially so. If you're playing in a pub game, when we say pub game, it's you're playing with four strangers as a team and then you're playing against five strangers and anything can happen. And a game can go uh, on average 40 minutes to an hour. So it is a time commitment. But then all of a sudden, maybe your teammate decides, okay, screw this. I'm gonna throw the game. I'm just gonna feed. I'm just gonna give myself to the enemy so that we lose. It's just frustrating, you know? Yep. And that's what kills the game. Yeah, that describes uh, why why people usually end up stop playing this Mm. game. It's, 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 uh, well... I don't know. I so on on one hand, I wish uh, you know the there's more of a system to to deter uh, toxic behavior. Mm. But then it's it's really hard to implement. Yeah. Oh, so I played recently, right? Dota two, and they have this new feature called Overwatch. So not to be confused by the Overwatch game produced by Blizzard. So they have this Overwatch system wherein you as a player will become a judge. So so Valve will assign you a clip of the game that was played before. If, if people reported that game, somebody is throwing or something like that, you as a player will be the judge. Is that person guilty or not? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I believe there are a lot of people getting reported of spoiling the game. And so <laughs> Valve cannot handle all, all the reports, right? And and they've what they've done is they tried to reach out to the community that, hey, if you want this game to be void of all these cancerous players, then help us screen them. Tell me if they are indeed guilty or not guilty of the claim. So so I I, I would say it's a decent step forward mm-hmm. to kind of try to fix this problem that's, you know, spoiling the game and, you know, make players like you quit and just, you know, forget about the game. So it is a decent step forward, but it's the, the effects are yet to be seen. Well, I, I wish they had it uh, back <clears throat> when I was playing mm. uh, so that... Uh, uh, there was an an incident uh, with a famous player. Mm-hmm. So uh, just for context, uh, at at my peak, I was ranked uh, 
uh, I think top 20 in Southeast Asia. Wow. So, so I regularly got into games with, uh, pro players mm. and, and played either on the same side or opposite them. And I, it was at my peak. So I was very confident of my skills. Mm. I thought I was playing very well. And I got into the game with, uh, Mushi. Oh, who, yeah, Mushi. Yeah. <laughs> who was the, uh, best, widely recognized as the best, uh, Malaysian player. Mm. And so I, I picked the support player mm-hmm. because I had Mushi in my team. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I went to his lane to support him. And I got flamed from start to the end. He called me useless. Oh. He called me a waste of his experience, a waste of his time. It was, he was so toxic. And I, I wondered what I did wrong. So I wish uh, there was an Overwatch system. <laughs> 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 People can, can judge whether I was at fault or, or whether he was just mm. being unreasonable. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that would, have been, that would have been the best use of Overwatch back then. Yeah. Yeah. Because that happens, right? People flaming you and for what? And... You, you know, it's you, you. don't even know that person. It's a, it's a pop game for crying out loud, right? Yeah. Why, why would you? Why would you do that? <laughs> so I, I, I can maybe understand uh, a, a little bit uh, because what I'm good at is uh, still pop level skills. Mm. Uh, it's it's still playing without a system, mm. but pro players, you know, they have a certain set of rules ah, yes. and and systems that they they follow. Yeah. So if, if you are out of it, then you know you may be they may see you as uh, sabotaging their their chances. You're right. For them, there's already a pre-programmed set of rules. First five minutes, you should do this, buy this ward, put them there. You know, yeah, exactly. g- give me one tango. So all yeah. of these kind of unwritten rules for them is natural, but for casual players, probably it's it's not really that obvious. Yeah, mm. and that's right. When I play a game, a pub game. Um, no less I, I've always tried to be encouraging like if somebody dies there, there's a chat wheel that you can say relax you're doing fine or something like that <laughs> I'm, I'm that kind of player you know because at the end of the day no matter how much you died if you are still able to win the game you're able to turn around it's still a victory the, 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 the objective of the game is to destroy your opponent's tower and you know until that's done anything can happen so if you just try to encourage your team, I think it can be done, but there's there's just no escaping toxic players, as you've mentioned, like just yeah, exactly. cursing, using the microphone, and then cursing you. Like, ah, it's just yeah, it's a it's a sad part of, of the community, sadly. Yeah. So yeah. All you can do is just mute everyone and just play the best you can. Oh, that's what I do. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> any anyone who says a, a word against me, I'll just mute them. Yeah. straight away. Straight yeah. away, right? I don't let words of strangers destroy yeah the, except the, uh bushy i didn't mute him because uh i was glad i was happy to be to be scolded by him <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt like an honor <laughs> i've been speaking with stanley luck a dota 2 player who at the peak of his career ranked top 20 in southeast asia he's joining us from his lovely home in singapore Stanley, thanks for your time and stay safe. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this conversation, consider listening to episode 29, What Does It Take to Be an OFW YouTuber in Singapore? Or if you want to listen more of Stanley's voice, you may scroll down a few inches more to episode 6, Why Do We Love Jollibee So Much? where he confessed his love to Chicken Joy. 
This has been Banana Q Podcast. Thank you for listening.